everybody. Welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Mike here with uh, Tim Stafford and a very, very <laughs> special guest today. My son, who? Seth. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Seth Thomas is a bit of a rough patch. We had some... Um, and some vomiting last week and some vomiting this week with some fever. Um, no my, good. my sweet wife is taking him to get a COVID test here in a yep. couple minutes. Yep. yep, we'll probably test for the flu. But Seth, man, when Seth Erie isn't eating his favorite foods, you know it's serious. <laughs> you know it's bad. Right? Yeah. No mama's chicken you. from Chick-fil-A? No, no chicken. And then we got fries yesterday and not one fry was eaten. Which is, I can't even tell you, that, that's the equivalent of setting ice cream down uh, in front of um, Seth's father, who shall remain nameless, <laughs> and expecting that to go in touch. <laughs> now, today, uh, well, Seth, do you, wanna, do you have anything you want to tell us? I mean, how's your life going, buddy? Uh, my life is good. <laughs> my is. life is good. Nice. And do you know how much it makes me happy to be your dad? Uh, so, so. Journey Church? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> they love you too. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, Seth is, uh, is hanging around in the most wonderful ways, but I always hate to just... You know the eyes, Tim, you know this because uh, you have children, but their eyes give it away when they're really sick. You can just yeah. see it in their eyes. Totally. So, Sefi's making big eyes at me right now, but yes, you can just sort of see it. There it is. Um, what's that? There it is right there. Yeah, the, the eyes that we're seeing right now are exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Timothy, we are going to do a kind of a special episode today. We've threatened for a couple of episodes, but today we wanted to just give a center stage to all of the voices that are contributing to the conversation. And uh, this is nothing more than us reading and responding to comments, critiques, and um, questions. And it is just wonderful. We learn so much and our thinking is clarified when we hear from you. And then some of the points you raise and questions you raise and stories you tell are, are absolutely inspiring and thought-provoking. So. Um, if you're a fan of that, then you are going to get your money's worth today, Boy, my are you friends. In for a treat. Yep, we're still going to record uh, another episode on the uh, unity. I think that'll be the last uh, official conversation about the unity piece. But um, anyway, today we're just going to read a bunch of emails uh, from folks, and and this is, I mean, we have hundreds sitting in our inbox, and they're all you know super thoughtful. So um, anyway, Timothy, are you ready? I'm ready. Tip, hey, the wizard. Please. So Tim, that puts you in a great mood, doesn't it? Yes, sir. Absolutely. How are you? Drum roll, please. Oh, I love that. It's Seth. <laughs> Seth. 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 <laughs> All right. Uh, I am going to read. Uh, an email from somebody. Uh, hello, Mike and Tim. Hello. I am a um, closeted side B Christian pursuing celibacy. And side B means um, you were um, attracted to the same sex, but hold the traditional Christian teaching 
um, that sex is reserved for heterosexual marriage. Um, I have been so encouraged by the conversations you all have been having on the podcast and especially been enjoying the series Unbounded, Fuzzy, Center-Oriented Churches. I have a small nuance concerning your most recent uh, episode, number 333, and he adds halfway to a rather unfortunate number. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be a special episode. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's funny. You all talked about... um, wanting to avoid making doctrinal statements where possible so as not to avoid unnecessary un- unnecessary boundaries, and I think I primarily agree. Documents such as the Nashville Statement have caused unnecessary harm for a lot of side-B Christians and have limited opportunities for organizations that adopt it to engage in the experiences of sexual minorities. The Nashville Statement was written by, I think, the Council of Biblical Manhood, Womanhood, and it would be everything that you would expect from them. How do you get on that council? Is that like a self-appointed position? Well, evidently you have to be a biblical man or biblical woman. So, you you know, I I think that rules us out. At the same time, excuse me, I need to cough. (coughs) Wow. Many side B and side A folks. So this this is language that's used within the community to talk about the the posture of Christians who are same-sex attracted to historical teaching. Um, Side B folks often will hold to the historical teaching. Side A folks will say that historical teaching isn't really addressing, um, you know, sexuality as we know it 2,000 years later. And they work hard. From my experience, there's a lot of great conversation between the two communities within that subset. So, At the same time, many side B and side A folks will also point to a common bait and switch in church experiences. This is such a good nuance. We might put down roots in a congregation only to be told two years in that we don't permit a gay person to teach or work with kids or whatever other thing it may be. This happens to both side A and side B believers. See church clarity for the work they are doing to minimize this experience. We talked about church clarity years ago, and it's and it rates churches on their I don't know I don't know how best to say this on their uh, welcoming. So so a lot of churches will say, oh, of course we welcome everybody, but then you you get into them and you realize, well, you're not welcomed into leadership, you're not welcomed into um, certain aspects of service, and so there's you're this kind to of tithe. Unwritten, always welcome to Todd, baby. And there's this certain sort of unwritten rule or barrier that uh, churches don't announce. And so what our commenter is saying, which is really, really important, our point was the worst thing to do is to just uh, have statements on things because that, that literally just communicates boundaries. The counter to that, which our commenter is making, is yeah, but sometimes it'd be nice to know those boundaries before you put down roots in a church. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have total, total respect for that. How can we continue, he writes, uh, focusing towards the center rather than excluding while at the same time avoiding these scenarios of leading someone on? Man, that is so good. So, Tim, why don't you take this one? (laughs) Man, this, Timothy, is a great question. And I don't know that I have um, a great answer. I do have some thoughts around the kind of dynamics. I think statements, no matter um, their intent, 
create dynamics that we have to be super careful with. So I'm, I'm still suspicious of um, churches that will have statements about things and not other things. Um, so, so the statement-making dynamic is one I want to resist. I do want to embrace the honesty to say to when people ask, hey, we're really wrestling through this issue. There are many ways uh, that Christians approach it and we're not unified. We make room. One of the things we said about our Vox community when we planted a church in California was we wanted to be a place where um, affirming and not affirming Christians could love and serve each other. And so we had people in our community who were side A, people in our community who were side B, and people in our community who you know, thought that uh, being gay is a sin and enough to damn you to hell. And all of those people would take the, the, the Lord's Supper together. Um, and it was messy. We didn't always handle it perfectly, but that's the center set approach. We would rather take the mess of uh, individual discernment. And it goes back to the question that originally raised this whole whole uh, dynamic uh, and, and the whole kind unity of, thing. yeah, the whole unity thing. Am I supposed to be unified with people who, and right. then fill in the political opinions, you know, who are rights, who embrace white supremacy or Christian nationalism or whatever. Um, and on the other side, Christians that, you know, have uh, succumbed to the woke ideologies or what, I mean, the all sorts of pejorative names. And the answer, of course, is, well, it depends what unity means. If unity just means hey, we're going to build uniformity around certain boundary lines, then no, we don't want to be unified in that way whatsoever. But if unity means um, I'm unified with the people who are pursuing Jesus, recognizing that there are people in different, you know, different rates of approach and different distances needed to travel, then I can be unified in a community with people whose views I cannot stand, nor whose sins I cannot tolerate. So the center, center dynamic is the, withdraw, with the, the withholding of judgment from each other, the non-ordering of discipleship from each other as we pursue Jesus together, and then waiting until we get into the with, towards, for, committed right. to relational postures. If there is any towarding to be done, it's then and only then. And it's done recognizing myself as the greater sinner uh, versus, because I have the log in my own eye versus the speck in somebody else's. So I think churches should be honest, absolutely, but their honesty should not be captured in a statement. I don't think, I think statements set up dynamics that are not centered set. But if there is a resistance, uh, if there is uh, some sort of uh, posture that says, yes, you're welcome, but only so far, absolutely that should be communicated with the greatest clarity. But even then it should be done in relational dynamics uh, that care for and desire to include rather than to exclude um, so there should be honesty, even if the honesty is just, it's a mess. We're not sure yeah. right now. Um, so, which is the only true honest answer is we're all a mess. Yes. I don't get the need for, for statements in these policies or whatever. And maybe this is part of the reason I'm struggling with church in general. I'm just like, I, I'll, I'll walk this long road with anybody period. Yep. That's what and discipleship that's is. That's right. So I, I think statements and policies often inhibit that, but, but our commenter raises a great point. And yeah. so I, I think churches should be very honest when approached about what their views are. If I were approached about our little community, um, I would say, hey, we want to be a people where affirming and non-affirming people can love and serve each other, recognizing 
that I've come across folks who seem to be unbelievably committed to Jesus, who are side A, who are side B, and who are not side anything. Yeah. Um, and who think the whole conversation, you know, I mean, so, so the posture is openness to Jesus. The posture is not. Now, one of the ways, of course, you measure openness to Jesus is by the desire to learn and apprentice yourself to him and become a student and so on. But that happens in so many different ways and so many different orders and in so many different, you know, processes that it's tough for, for anyone to make a determination about who would serve in leadership and who would not. Right, you would have to know so deeply the person, and the, of course, I would consider uh, people who are who are same-sex attracted for leadership positions. In, in the same way, I would consider opposite-sex attracted folks for leadership positions. Right, because the issue isn't um, what what it is that I'm coming into the Jesus conversation with. It's what 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 I'm doing in the midst of the Jesus conversation as I'm invited to follow him. That's where you see the real fruit of someone's life. It's not on an, an issue uh, that can be mapped out on a statement and given an easy yes or no answer. So to me, the center set deals with the heart. To me, the center set clarifies the center. Jesus did teach about sexuality. I think we have to wrestle with that. I don't have to go to Leviticus or Romans or 1 Corinthians. Um, you know, when Jesus talks about divorce, there is, there is, uh, it seems to be a Genesis 2 sort of like authoritative teaching. Um, and yet I fall short of that too. So we have to make room in clarifying the center for, yes, Jesus does talk about sexuality, but how does he do it and who does he do it to? And what's the result of his talking about sexuality? That's what we have to study. And that's where I, I just am in agreement with Gombas that until we are willing and ready, if we hold the traditional Christian view, until we are willing and ready to walk with our friends and neighbors and family members from the LGBTQ plus community in loving, long-term, um, mutually supportive and reciprocal relationships, then we ought to just keep our mouth shut. So that's all I have to say about that. And I'm sure, Zip it. And, and we've talked so much about this. So I refer you to an episode we did several episodes ago um, where we were talking about what's new, what are new creation dynamics when it comes to this conversation. So I would refer you to that to a fuller explanation. But I, I so agree, we have to be honest about where we're at on some of these issues to honor the people who are coming, uh, especially if they're being asked to give and serve um, and attend and belong. I think that is absolutely true. I just don't think statements can capture it. So great, great question. Here's a critique. Oh. I, ca I came away from listening to episode 314, Feeling Grieved. So, so I think we were talking about uh, one of our Bible series, talking about the book of Revelation. I came away wondering if I should feel grateful to you, Mike, that you are saving us from the stupid, idiotic the theologians and scholars who have gone before you and me. Those who passed the faith on to us, who lived in much less lavish times. Those who looked at the book of Revelation, both as ap apocalyptic literature and prophetic. That I also should be glad that Mike knows exactly how the first century church received the letter from John. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, you should be grateful. I grieve. And he goes on, though. That was not him. That was me. I grieve over the church as a pastor, as I see the church shrinking. In many cases, because individuals feel that they know best on how the church should be. 
What has happened to humbleness and community as we both agree we should be participating in it? Um, what has happened to people who come to be part of a body, not to see Jesus, but to examine it uh, if it is being done correctly and right? Rarely do people call and ask me about my heart for Jesus. I simply get asked if I fit into their mold. I know you were only criticizing your own, um, but I really came away grieved in spirit with the rhetoric. Sincerely from a Voxology community member. So, so here's what I, what I hear. And I, I did respond and apologizing because if, if ever it comes across, there are two, I, I see two really old creation sort of attitudes that I am fully capable of displaying. One is, can you believe those idiots believed right. that? So yes, I, I receive that uh, correction and I never want to give off that vibe. Absolutely. Totally. The vibe I do want to give off is, man, bad theology really hurts and this is bad theology. Um, the other vibe I don't want to give off is um, being critical of the church just for the sake of being critical. And that's why it's so important, dear questioner, that you know that I'm serving in a church as a teaching pastor, that I am committed to a local body, that I absolutely um, work to renew, restore all the things that we talk about in theory. Uh, I am part of a, a group of people that are trying to work out in practice. So I am not in any way, uh, and I, I totally agree, I can come off this way, and I apologize for that. That is not at all the way I want to come across. I, as part of my discipleship, want to excavate the, the assumptions surrounding um, my Christian upbringing, because what I've come to realize is much of that reflects American culture or Western Christianity rather than the biblical you know, uh, concepts. And if, if, if you're saying... Um, that we're not allowed to critique other views and say that those are not less, or to, to, to not say they're less biblical. I guess I would push back on that and say, well, I think that's part of what we have to do. I see Jesus doing that. I see Paul doing that. I see, um, I see really the Bible as a whole, whole you know, narrative of people doing that in light of the fresh move of Yahweh and his son Jesus. And so um, I do think there's a place to critique other views without condemning other people. And if ever I cross that line or when I cross that line, I am very, very sorry. That is not something I ever want to do. Gambas has a great line where he talks about he wants to be a critical thinker but not have a critical spirit. Yeah. And so for me, being involved in a local community, um, in all of its warts and all, and knowing I bring warts to it um, has been absolutely redemptive. So the critique uh, comes from a place for, at least in my mind, and if, I, if, if and when I express it differently, that's totally on me. The critique comes from a place of love and passion. Uh, it's like sitting right. down for marriage counseling and having hard conversations, not because you're trying to destroy the other person, but because you're trying to save the marriage, the marriage is so important to you, you're willing to put yourself through very difficult conversations in order to come out the other side um, a better couple. In that same way, there are so many things that are being revealed in the church, and I do think we have permission um, mm -hmm. to critique them and call them out. 
he like very C.S. graciously Lewis talked about it as like a scalpel or like the scalpel hurts when it cuts but the point of it is to remove something that is cancerous or is harming or is whatever but the cut does hurt yep the the placebo pill doesn't but it does nothing absolutely but i can i i can receive this and say yeah, yeah, yeah. i can see where where people would look at our endeavor and say, well, you're just, all you're doing is taking shots and it's so negative and whatever else. There's no way around that. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, because even when we take a, a, a more passive or gentle, it, the, the critique comes from the other side too. I think the line that you said was to, to critique or to discuss bad theology or ideology and not attack the people. And we've been talking about this too with like, combating ideologies rather than um, just combating these loud voices and yes how often with a lot of loud voices it's it's a fight you can't win it's not one that's worth picking yeah. but changing but combating ideologies and giving people hopefully encouraging people to gain the skills of critical thinking so that they can also engage in that conversation and find truth based on data and whatever I think that's a very noble fight yeah and i don't have no interest in getting in a boxing ring with well i do but i know that i shouldn't <laughs> so so i i receive i and i think we both receive that as and we've heard this critique before it is the constant battle um that's why we're we fighting for tim bits instead of tim's troubled times yes yes and and i just have to say again personally that is why for me belonging and participating in a community is so unbelievably important because I see the beauty of it. I, I see the beauty of it too. Yeah. And so, um, so anyway, correction received. I think you're right on. And um, I definitely don't want to be a kind of person because all I'm doing is channeling smarter people. I mean, it's not like Mike Erie is much of anything. It's it's that um, there's this there are these the, these thick veins of scholarship in the mountain of Christian tradition that um, I wasn't introduced to, uh, neither in church experience nor in seminary. And um, I find a lot of that thinking very compelling and refreshing. And it addresses the kind of concerns my children have about this thing that we call following Christ. So anywho, great, great stuff. We always welcome critique. Timothy, why don't you read one, my friend? All right, I'll read one. Hey, Mike and Tim. Hey. First time writing in, but long time listener. I love that. Your, I, that so is I, the best intro. <laughs> Your podcast alongside the Holy Post has been a, has really been a blessing to me over the last several years. I wanted to share a little bit of my ongoing journey and deconstruction. A large hill in my deconstruction journey was my inner battle with a more fundamentalist upbringing regarding science. Mm. I have a grandfather who strongly believes in a literal young earth seven day creation and holds this as a core tenet of Christianity for some reason. Yep. I am in the healthcare profession and had to take a lot of biology, chemistry, and physics throughout undergrad and grad school. My grandfather had always told me that I needed to be very careful with my public school education because my teachers, especially my science teachers, were going to indoctrinate me and lead me away from my faith. Yeah. A lot of these teachers were actually very kind and thoughtful people. Who would have thunk? Winky emoji. <laughs> this was obviously in direct contrast to what my grandfather would have me believe 
This could have been a breaking point for me and a place to turn away from my faith like I was warned it would before. However, throughout this time, I was involved in a campus ministry on my college campus and was being discipled by a great guy who helped me wrestle through these questions. He was the first person to tell me that there are theologians and scientists that have done a lot more research than either of us or my grandfather have ever done and come down on a variety of different views. He was the first one to demonstrate humility in his beliefs, but still hold the conviction of Christ's love firmly. Since then, organizations like BioLogos have helped me to continue to hold both science and faith together with humility and conviction. I really feel like my discipler in college uh, through crew saved me a lot of potential pain and frustration. I am still on this journey of deconstruction and reconciliation. I hope I always will be. Amen. But I find that I grow more in love with Christ, especially as I see the faults in myself and other believers around me. That's awesome. Yep. Yes. I've never well, understood the disparity between faith and science. It, I, science to me is like a way of understanding. It's like our way of understanding and being able to explore God's creation. Right. And it seems so, they seem so hand in hand. And the stewardship that comes from that understanding, not the ignorance of it, seems like it's worship as well. These, seems like, these seem like very tangible forms of worship to me. When um, the inerrancy battles were raging, this became kind of a shibboleth, um, oh, oh. a literal, you know, do you take Genesis 1 literally or figuratively for whether or not you held to inerrancy? Thankfully, we're moving beyond that. Um, it's one of those things, and I've done it too. I mean, of course, we elevate really, really peripheral issues into the center. And that's why the center can't be a set of believings. The center has to be a person and a relational dynamic among yeah. people who are pursuing this person, and this per person is pursuing us. And so... Um, so I grieve that I'm, I'm thrilled to find people who are secure in their own faith enough to say, Hey, there are many different views on this and a lot of different, really intelligent people. Yes. Um, I mean, that's such a big deal. It's the, the, the boundary mode of no, 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 this is the, this is what you've got to believe. If you take the Bible seriously, that is far easier. It's much harder to become a person who just says, yeah, there are a lot of different views on this and man, some of the some of the most incredible um, scientists have been followers of Jesus, and yeah. and and there are certain assumptions that we can quibble with that that undergird science that sometimes get expressed by the new atheists as being hostile to faith. But the endeavor itself, the way that you know things through curiosity and humility and continual testing and repetition and self critique and peer critique, I mean, all of that. Why wouldn't we want that? Yeah. Um, so I'm with you. To me, I follow um, on Twitter um, astrologists, um, and is that right? Astrologists? Uh, are you into astrology? No. Like reading signs and no. So astrophysicists. Man, I always mess that up. I do not follow astrologists. <laughs> uh, I follow <laughs> astrophysicists who are always showing pictures, you know, from the Hubble telescope. And my goodness, of course, you can look up upon that and just go, man, that is amazing. And what, uh, what an amazing feat that we are here to enjoy it. 
Yeah. Uh, to me, I'm with you, man. I go straight to worship in those sorts of uh, those sorts of places. So great. The, inter- great the stuff. interesting um, uh, catalyst in this email is for me is not the science versus faith. Um, I normally wouldn't even engage that conversation, but the one about how you how you continue to be in conversation with family members who are like cemented into a view. Yeah. And um, I mean, you know, I think that's a really, it's such a hard, that's such, that's such a hard thing to navigate. Yeah. Like, you know, yep. it's just, it's, I don't think there's like a right or easy way to do it. You just like, <laughs> you have to figure out how to, take it one step at a time and be humble and be patient and be part of a long conversation rather than a bunch of short terse arguments. Yes. Um, that's a hard one. It, it, it really, really is. And it requires the center set relational dynamics that are really foreign to us, you know, to, to, um, it, to have been discipled in polarization and demonization and name calling and all those sorts of things. And then to sit in relational community with people that, you know, totally trigger all of those um, old creation dynamics yeah. and to, and to put on instead humility, curiosity, question asking um, the valuing of the person, regardless of the view. I mean, all of that requires a lot of maturity and, um, So one of the things that I want to commend the discipler on is, and this is how I want to be. I mean, at worst, I can come across as, you know, an arrogant know-it-all. At best, I want to come across as somebody who is curious and makes room at a very large table for all sorts of people to sit and have conversations. So Yeah, curiosity and humility. Come on. The humility of, of being able to say, hey, yeah, guess what? This is a shocker, but there are there are and have been many people who are much more researched and read than I What and you. <laughs> Seems like it's All a- right. Excellent, Timothy. Hey. Hey. Exclamation point. I'm the kind of person that uses exclamation points a lot. You text in all caps. All caps. Well, especially if I'm being sarcastic or excited. So... <laughs> And, and th- that turns out to be my two primary texting emotions. So a lot of all caps. Um, but I love exclamation points. In fact, I have to discipline myself. I will go back and reread an email to make sure that I haven't used exclamation points at the end of every sentence. And if I do, I will replace them with periods just so people don't think I'm crazy. Yeah. Um, so anyone that leads off by saying, hey, exclamation point, I'm in already. They're speaking your love language. Already. The discussion concerning bounded, fuzzy, and centered sets has been really great. I was introduced to this previously by a spiritual mentor, and I realized it was the key piece in not my deconstruction, but what I think of as my current spiritual reevaluation. This process began with problems in my congregation around women in leadership and pastoral authority. And when I was introduced to this topic of bounded and centered sets, I realized that one of my big beefs and hurts that I carried out of the experience was that I thought I was in a centered community, but the structure in place was very bounded. There were lines and I was on the right side of them. 
But the really big point I wanted to mention here regarding bounded and centered is the relational aspect of the points you're making. I really appreciated how you brought in the topic of marriage because approaching marriage and parenting with the idea of being oriented towards the other or being the best spouse or parent you can collectively be instead of uh, focusing on the lines of this is right or this is wrong has been such a beautiful pivot in my life. Uh, instead of being mad that my husband did something I thought was stupid, um, which, you know, my wife has never experienced that emotion, just FYI, so that we can't really relate at this. Instead of being mad that my husband did something I thought was stupid with our kids or with me, I remind myself that I trust him, that's a relational dynamic, and that he typically is authentically making choices that he thinks are the best for our kids or me. Those choices look very different for me as I make choices that I think will be best both for our kids or him, but ultimately we're both centered on making the best possible choices for our kids, our marriage, or whatever. It has at least given us a more productive place to start our fights from. <laughs> Amen. But, but yeah. she is capturing something absolutely beautiful here, right? Disagreement between two people who are centered is different than disagreement over boundary lines. Yes, totally. There, and boundaries, like getting rid of, not boundaries, but bounded, getting rid of bounded thinking doesn't mean we won't have conflict. Of course, we're going to have conflict on the way to the yeah. center. And even but, that was part of last week's. Yes. But, but she's capturing that same dynamic. We are committed to each other. We are with each other. We are for each other. And, and there are times we toward each other, right. whether the toarding is invited or not. It, it's at least tolerated, though, because of the relational dynamics already in place. That's what she's saying. That's a great example. This idea has really helped me as well as I relate to other people who follow Christ. An example is this. I work with a woman older than myself that is authentically centered towards Christ. She also believes that COVID isn't real. And if you wear a mask, you are, hold, you are against personal liberties. Mm. Would I choose to bear my soul to her? No. Mm. However, I don't hold back loving Jesus either. We always have an understanding that we both love and follow Christ, but that we don't always agree on what that might look like. And that's what grace is for. I don't trust her with everything, but I do trust her to put Christ first. I see us both as part of his church even though we probably would never be part of the same congregation. That's what church unity means to me. Well, I have to say it, um, dear uh, commenter, this is exactly the journey we want to all be on. Yeah. And unity does not mean that I am fully committed to the things um, that the people I'm identifying with hold. Um, absolutely. It does mean, though, that I can treasure and value them as part of a community and, as you say, not trust them with everything that I think <laughs> and everything that I think they should think. So I love that. Tim, you're th you've got a thoughtful face. I'm just I see thinking the through scenarios of like, you know, she mentioned the COVID denying and that kind of stuff. And there are, there's, there are you know, ramifications to certain belief sets that people that are in your immediate community may hold. I just, if, if that's just always a struggle, it's often, often, not always, but often the loudest voices can be some of the most destructive ones. Yes. And when you're being quiet while the others are being loud, it's just, that's just a hard, it can be a really hard posture to hold. Absolutely. And I don't think new creation centered set dynamics mean we're quiet. Mm 
Yeah, but it's it's a becomes a difficult like it just becomes a difficult negotiation <laughs> within yourself. I'm yeah. trying to use diplomatic terms. Well, don't. But it you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it's there there are moments where you have to but then that starts to become a slippery slope of fighting of then engaging in so many battles that totally you're back to where you started. You're back to a, here's the line. I'm on this side. You're on this side. And right. But you're, you're wrong on your side. So I have to, I, I must persevere. Yeah. The, and the COVID thing, I mean, the view that COVID isn't real has done real damage in our world yes, and cost over human a million lives. people dead in our yeah. country. Yeah. yeah. So I do think, I mean, whether it's masks, whether it's vaccinations, I mean, those are real conversation that have real consequences. Um, but I don't think I don't think any of that gets us off of the command to love our neighbor and our enemy. And so love again doesn't mean affection for or agreement with. Love means benevolent action towards. Right. So so we may just agree. We're just we're not going to talk about our views on this because we each think the other is crazy. Okay, I think that's a that's a new creation posture. That's just recognizing my goodness, everything's so polarized. But the maturity that that it takes to sit in that dynamic and not just label the other um, and demonize the other is is the new creation dynamic itself that Jesus wants us to pro- to, to just uh, gets practice. hard. Like this morning when I dropped my kids off at school, there was a, that whole group of moms out there again with their posters, um, protesting masks, but you, there's no one out there protesting. Kids should have masks on. Right. Uh, I, I'm always saying that in regards to like, we've had so many emails about churches splitting over this mask issue. Yeah. And it's hard because if it, it tends to be, more um, protest against, not people protesting for. Right. And so it's it becomes hard to sit in a pew together when the loudest voice is not posturing towards the center, is posturing towards this one specific thing, but enough that it causes the church to split and the pastor to quit. And that you know what I mean? It's just like, then it's hard to say, well, then are we just all leaving? Because right. we cannot posture towards the center together, uh, and then do we just become two different religions? I don't know. It's just this. I, as I, the more I follow sure. it through, I'm just like, ah. ah oh, oh. Well, it depends if they're elevating. See, I mean, you can be centered all you want, but if you make your views on masks, politics, or vaccines a boundary, then it doesn't matter. You're not right. you're not centered at all anymore. Right. And um, and so I'm seeing boundaries and we talked about this in the first episode you know it used to be the boundaries were theological now the boundaries tend to be uh, your views on sexuality uh, and now they're political and very specifically political about mass vaccines whatever so can is it possible to have a disagreement about vaccines in a centered way yes absolutely so and and it's also much more likely and much easier to do it in a bounded way um and so yes i i think so so many things break down to it's just easier well of course it requires less work less thinking yep that's why we all do it all of it. i mean we are all yeah. guilty of this and that that's why you cannot measure is someone 
oriented towards Jesus by their verbal agreement totally. to a set of believing statements. You know, are, are, are the people that are centered toward Jesus, are we willing to be corrected? Are we willing to grow? Are we willing to be wrong? Um, are we willing to love those who, who think we're wrong? I mean, literally, the idea that, that being in community with someone um, who is, you know, in, in our example, um, anti-mask, anti-vax, and we think their views are doing real harm, um, you know, the, the easiest thing and the almost self-righteous, you know, uh, tribal thing is to just have nothing to do with those people. And yet there are millions and millions and millions of them. We all know or are related to some of them. And so what the idea of our being right on this has to be secondary to something else. And what is that something else? Now, agreed, we're not, I mean, uh, of course, uh, we have a, a mutual friend who says often, I don't know who I can trust to tell my real opinions to uh, right. anymore, right? And there have to be a group of people that you find completely safe to process things out loud with, but that's as it should be, right? There, you shouldn't be doing this with hordes of people anyway. Um, the idea, though, that there there is a group of people committed to mutual learning, committed to the relational dynamics that undergird undergird true authentic relationship, man, that's incredible. And I I don't think you find many of those kinds of people as you go along. The rest, you know, we put up with and tolerate each other for the sake of mutual peace. Yeah. It gets hard when it, when it becomes a harmful topic. And so I guess a lot of people don't think that COVID killing a lot of people is a harmful topic. But mm -hmm. when, the, when the belief system is one that is causing harm, like the seven day creation thing, it's like, whatever. You think it was seven days. You think it was 60 trillion years, whatever. We can agree to disagree and break bread. But when it comes to those belief systems and one of them causing actual harm, that gets a little tricky. Even like the affirming, non-affirming, like having uh, affirming and non-affirming be able to sit together. The problem with that dynamic is it's it's only about the person, it's only about the person whose sexuality is not the standard. It's not about the person whose sexuality is the standard. The affirming and non-affirming is all about one person, it's not about the other person. Mm. So they become the focus of that conversation rather than part of the conversation. Does that make sense? Oh, in its worst ways, absolutely, that's what happens. In its best ways, um, the presence of we, David Fitch, a guy we've had on the podcast, talks about uh, a posture that churches should have called mutually well, welcoming and mutually transforming. That we need, I need uh, sexual minorities to help spur me on in discipleship. Um, and that any conversation we're having about that is an absolute two-way street. You know what I mean? So that, yeah. that if done well, it should be an absolute back and forth. It's not just about um, this other person's sin and whether or not you know, it's okay. It's, for me, as, a centered, as, one, as somebody who wants to be centered, I always start with I'm the biggest sinner in this dynamic right now. And I have all sorts of sexual sin. And so... If, if we're excluding people on the basis of, quote, sexual sin, then I'm the first to be excluded. If, I'm in, if I see myself as included in the people of God, then what are the dy dynamics that I've allowed myself to experience that make that judgment 
real for me. And then I simply offer those to people who, um, you know, who have different views and positions on things in the same way I always offered them as I was working out my own issues. Right. I don't know if this is making any sense. There's so much, such thick and troublesome stuff. But see, this is why our community is great. This forces us into clarifications and questions. Um, I thought this was a great, great question. Um, let's see here. Hey guys, super appreciate your podcast. Um, but here's where my mind goes fuzzy and I want to hear your thoughts. Weren't, weren't non-denominational churches supposed to be the center focus sets trying to break down the boundaries of the bounded set? And I don't know how or who or why, but it feels like the marketing arm of evangelicalism sucked all denominational and non-denominational churches that have a low church hierarchy structure up and gave them Max Lucado books and bada boom, <laughs> bada bing, it gave us Donald Trump. How do you suggest we stay vigilant? I feel like Tim brings up the great point of bounded, a bounded mindset folks always showing up at centered set groups and slowly chipping away with their... Fox News discipled ears and concerns. Will you talk more about this on the pod? Appreciate you dudes. Boom. Man, that is a fantastic question. And um, we're going to talk about that next episode, the episode we're going to record later this week. Because it, 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 you're absolutely right. And it's, it's so funny. This happens. I was reading something this morning about revolutions, that revolutions always leave behind another slimy version of bureaucracy. And <laughs> it was a great quote. And, um, and the same is true here. The good yeah. intentions of the movements of God always leave behind the slimy residue of bounded uh, institutions. Absolutely right. And, and I love the word you use, dear commenter, um, uh, uh, about vigilance, because that is exactly what it is. And that's why I can only describe centered set dynamics as a set of relational habits and practices, and not as anything other than that. Because the minute I start defining them as, well, if they do this or they do this, then I've just succumbed to boundary issues. Usually, bounded folks, if you're really center set, will either be set free or they'll self-select out of any community that's really serious about this. And it requires loads of conversation and grace, loads yeah. of invitational conversation that goes something along the lines of, listen, I understand where you're coming from. Um, we are pursuing Jesus with all our might. Here is the Jesus we are pursuing. You are invited to join us on this journey. But as we'll see this week, Jesus did confront the bounded, the bounded thinking of the Pharisees and the scribes quite a bit. And so I think we're given permission to do that too. Now, how we do that is super important. Right. And we're, we're going to talk about the difference between reintegrative re shaming and disintegrative shaming. Because um, Jesus did shame the Pharisees in an honor and shame culture, but he did it hoping to reintegrate them. And, and, and to be sure, in the book of Acts, we read that many Pharisees came into his movement. Hmm. Um, so, so first of all, you're absolutely right. This is the constant, constant version because you are constantly 
being tempted because it is easy um, and because we're discipled by uh, culture to do this, it is just easy to simply draw lines and, um, and reckon people on either side of them. That is the, and according to some theologians, that was the original sin. It was that I, we get to define good and evil um, um, <laughs> for ourselves. And yep. as a result, then engage in judgment of the other. So, so the centered set of practices that we're going to talk about, practices of you know, curiosity and humility, um, I mean, those require constant practice, and they only happen in community, and we will fail. And obviously, the, the goal in following Jesus isn't to get centered set, you know, thinking perfectly down. The goal of following Jesus is to become like Jesus, and that requires, I think, at times, resisting people who are bounded thinking people who come into the community and shame others. We're, and, and this is the exact dynamic we're going to talk about next episode. So, because um, I do think that matters. I remember being uh, in a community and leading a community where this young woman very courageously got up and sang a worship song in front of 1,800 people. Um, this was first time up front and immediately got corrected upon coming down from the stage about the length of her skirt. And, um, you know, and I, th uh. that foolishness needs to be called out. But again, we call out the views without condemning the people. And that is the trick. The minute we start condemning the people, we're back into boundedness, no matter what it is we're condemning yeah. them for. That's really interesting. The the catalyst for you can tell me if i'm wording this incorrectly the catalyst for the separation of heaven and earth was essentially us deciding that we could define good and evil and when you take that not just for ourselves though for others too right and when you take that forward to the sermon on the mount or the new creation dynamics through that, that makes a really interesting narrative arc. <laughs> yes. It does. I never really Be thought about it that way. The, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil or whatever, have the, like that's, that's actually really interesting. And that's what we're talking about. Yep. Some people take that tree to mean sexual knowledge. And there's mm. some textual evidence for that. Some people take it, um, and this is a uh, Greg Boyd. I don't know who he's channeling, but this is where I've I've heard it from. Is the idea that the judgment of self, the the self condemning judgment, um, and other condemning judgment was the result of the fall? Because that was the first kind of thing that. Yep. Yeah. So we took it upon ourselves. Mackie says this too. We took it upon ourselves to define good and evil for ourselves. Hmm. Um, but others see that tree as the experience of good and evil, that in their disobedience, they experienced evil and lost the good. So, I mean, there are any number of ways well, to sort of... Almost even seem mutually exclusive. I, yeah, I think I would, I would hazard a guess um, that there's a bit of all of that involved. Yeah, totally. But, but the idea that what the Sermon on the Mount is doing, at least in part, is reversing... Yeah. that judgment mechanism. And, and so, of course, of course, of course. And to me, if I can live in a place without judgmental, uh, bad crino, um, and uh, condemning attitudes towards others, then um, odds are I am practicing center set 
sort of way of life and community. That doesn't mean I don't have strong opinions. I think we're invited to have strong opinions and to really go after things like, you know, if, if I could have gotten to that young woman first, um, you know, I, I would have, um, totally tried to protect her from the, you know, the length of skirt conversation. Opinions that having opinions that exclude other people. If that's the, if that's the result or the goal of your opinion, then keep it to yourself. Well, that's, Again, it's what we're going to talk about this week. All right, moving on. All right, dear Tim and Mike, I wanted to add my voice to the discussion that fellow listener Nick brought up regarding justice several episodes ago. He had me screaming amen, at least in my head, as I listened to his thoughts. So I thought I would add some personal perspective that I've gained over the last couple of years. Oh, this is one you're supposed to read. Yeah. But you All right, why don't, you, why don't you pick it up then? I'm sorry, I just saw... The little T on it. <laughs> In November of 2018, my dad was killed by a drunk driver while taking a walk in the neighborhoods of my hometown. The driver was a young woman in her 20s and she drove away unscathed. As a white dude from a healthy family in a quiet coastal town, this was the first time I actually earned the label victim. Mm. My family and I were suddenly part of a a judicial process I had never seen from the inside, speaking with lawyers, providing court statements, and witnessing things unfold as justice, in quotes, was administered in the case against my father's killer. What has smacked me square in the face over and over again since that experience is how impoverished our idea of justice is in the evangelical church, especially when it comes to the cross. Mm. Nick is right about biblical justice. Uh, But I also want to add that even most human forms of retributive justice work in a way that makes more sense than the way many preachers portray the cross. Mm. When we put someone in jail, for instance, the point is to isolate someone who who has proven themselves a threat to the vulnerable members of society so that they cannot do further harm. Now, I'm not saying this is true justice, but my point is that it is an attempt to protect the community, not just an arbitrary punishment because it fits Mm. the crime. But now I imagine myself in the very courtroom where this young woman was on trial and I picture God speaking to me to say, I know you're broken right now because your father has been torn away from you. I want you to know that I'm going to make everything all right by letting that young woman walk free and in her place, torturing the one person who loved you more than your dad and then putting him to death. (laughs) Seriously, what the hell? I'm sure some would criticize me of taking an overly simplistic explanation of the cross too literally. Oh, the irony. But honestly, this is the implication of what so often gets preached. The truth is our evangelical culture has proclaimed a false or perhaps partial gospel from the perspective of the guilty because collectively we don't know the perspective of the abused and marginalized. We're too rich and powerful to remember that there are real victims walking around with all the wounds of our sin and idolatry and the message of blind impunity uh, on the basis of Jesus taking our punishment is absolutely abhorrent to Mm. them. Mm. It's an image where evil isn't actually dealt with, pain and loss go unaddressed, and we as sinners are left unchanged. And of course, in reality, as Fleming Rutledge has said, the line between victim and perpetrator runs through, runs right through all of us. Mm. We all need restoration as much as we need reform if justice is going to be done. 
Come on. I'll finish with a quote and verse from Douglas Harrink in his book, Resurrecting Justice. Justice. As you read it, make sure you have in mind the idea of justice that Nick shared in his email. In Messiah's faithful death, God makes his justice visible, speaks justice, does justice, and creates justice in us. God did this as a public display of his own justice because in God's forbearance, he passed over the sins previously committed so that in the now time of fulfillment, he might demonstrate that he himself is just and that he creates justice in those who share in the faithful death of Jesus. Come on. Okay, Tim. Yeah. I think we agree that of all the podcasts out there, we have the highest ratio of people smarter than the hosts who listen. <laughs> it's a just, low bar, though. Can we just agree? Yeah. Man, this is all so good. That That is phenomenal, and that's worth a whole... Man, that is a worth a whole uh, pod conversation because justice is different than punishment, and often uh, the cross is construed as in punishment terms, not in justice terms. And those are two yeah. totally different terms. So for me, and I, I don't think he's being overly literal. For me, it was it, the, the, the statement was, you have sinned, you are guilty, God is just, and sends you to hell unless you receive Jesus who paid the price for your sin. And yeah. we'll use a legal picture of a judge. Yeah fining you and then paying the fine as the predominant metaphor. So absolutely. And that does nothing to the Romans text that was just quoted about God demonstrating his justice. So my goodness, that is a wonderful, wonderful uh, comment and an expansion, a furtherance of that conversation into some good water. So I think that is a, a conversation that we will continue to have. I think there's a lot there. To talk about. So this is an instance and, and where your emails come in and set a trajectory for the podcast that we wouldn't have set. Like this unity conversation wouldn't have happened right. had this person emailed and said, am I supposed to be unified with people who endorse X, Y, and Z? Yeah. And I mean, my goodness, this is another example uh, of that same dynamic. All right. Um, we've got a few more. Hi, Mike and Tim. My deconstruction story has less to do with theology and more to do with church leadership and mental illness. I was very involved in the church I attended previously. I led a life group and was part of the first discipleship group with that pastor and then a couple of other discipleship groups after that. I was never told I couldn't ask questions, although most of my questions got the canned answers you'd expect from a conservative evangelical church. But we still liked the pastor's preaching and vision for the church. I invited a friend and his family to our church who had not been to church in a long time. About a year after being there, my friend was hospitalized for making suicidal statements. He said that while he was in the hospital, two elders from that church came to visit him and read 1 Corinthians 13, the love passage, to him one line at a time, pausing after each line to look up and add, you are not. So for instance, love is patient, you are not. The love is kind. read that to the person in the hospital? The elders did, yes. Love is patient, you are not. Love is kind, you are not. After talking to the pastor, he basically confirmed that, that was what had happened, said I could not be at the meeting the leadership was going to have with my friend, and shortly after, my friend and his family were dismissed from church leadership. The leadership told me, or told me that they would not talk to me any further about what took place. I wasn't aware at the time, but that was when my depression began. No 
doubt. Then the pandemic happened. After we were able to meet in person again, I felt anxiety every week. I went to church for about the next eight months. Occasionally, I would talk to the pastor after church, and while struggling to hold back tears, I would say things like, I hate being here. I feel like I've wasted my time. I don't feel like I'm part of this community. I was diagnosed with severe depression. After being medicated, I asked my pastor if we could talk about my comments now that I was thinking more clearly. When we met, we talked about depression. He didn't address any of my comments and then told me, we're not going to talk about any of this again. Don't bring it up after today. After a month, uh, about a month after, I was back in the same depressed mental state despite being medicated. We resigned from church membership two months before a cross-country move. They accepted our resignation with no follow-up. All attempts to pursue understanding and reconciliation with my pastor were ignored. I was wrong to think he was a friend. He could only ever be a pastor in position over me and one who was unwilling to walk with me through one of the darkest times of my life. Now we've moved and have brought my depression with me and an inability to trust church leadership. I will not sign another statement of faith, will not become a member of a church. I will work full-time in a support-based ministry. Excuse me, I work full-time in a support-based ministry and I feel trapped in the evangelical community because 90% of my income comes from white conservative evangelical Christians and churches. Fake it till I make it, I guess. Anywho, not to be a Debbie Downer, I'm thankful for the podcast and the ways you've helped me make sense of my faith and given me a vision for what to look for in a Jesus-centered community. My hopes aren't too high because we are not living in, um, I think we're now living in a small town conservative North Carolina. Um, okay, I'm going to try to stop being super cynical now. First of all, thank you for sharing that with us. I am so very sorry for what happened. Um, the church and mental illness is a, um, a pretty dangerous topic for churches because very, very often pastors are told that um, faith is the answer and that reading and praying more or or that um, they are qualified to offer advice and wisdom to people who are struggling with mental illness because it's ultimately a spiritual issue. Now, I have no doubt that there are spiritual issues involved. Um, I also think there are physical issues, emotional issues, family of origin issues, all sorts of attachment issues. So I think you can't just look at mental illness through one grid and say, well, it's just a spiritual problem. Um, I don't think that's true, nor do I think it's just a physical problem all the time. Maybe it could be. I'm open to that. But um, what my experience was is it was a whole person problem. I had to do things physically. Yeah. I had to do things mentally. I had to work through stuff emotionally. I had to practice certain forms of thinking and, and work my way off of other forms of rumination. I had to have a community that was supportive of even when I was anxious and not thinking clearly. All the things. So... Uh, on the one hand, the way that we treat pastors, it's changing, at least in, in communities I'm aware of, where pastors now recognize the issues involved are far beyond our training and uh, Bible verse to kind of slap over them. Um, I'm not sure what the heart was of the elders going to a person who'd expressed um, suicidal ideation um, and, and, and saying, okay, this is what love is, but you are not this. I mean, I don't know if that's the beginning of a gospel presentation that says you're a sinner and need Jesus. It's just pure I have, garbage. I have no idea, but that is awful. That is 
abuse and that is demonic and that is yeah makes me very angry yes yes um and so no wonder you were in turn um affected by this and all i can say is um we have a a dear friend on our board who asked the question the other day we get together as a little little vox team and she was saying how how do i integrate back into church (laughs) like i've had these experiences i'm cynical and jaded but I don't want to give up on the whole project. So how do I integrate back? And I sense a similar question from you. I mean, of course I would have the same suspicion and of course I would be um, as anxious and um, concerned about, you know, church leadership and all the things. Absolutely, I would totally protect myself, um, you know. And, and I don't even know if in that situation I would have given up on the whole institution itself. Um, so the last thing I'm going to say is stop being cynical. I think there's a place for a, a, a degree of skepticism about the promises and personalities of the evangelical church in America these days. So I think that is a healthy, healthy thing. I think you can find the community you're looking for, but I wouldn't trust the organization to provide it. No. So, um, you know, find like-minded folks. He, he also, when I asked if I could read this email, he came back and said that when he listened to Dan um, Koch mm. uh, episodes ago, that was when he decided to go to counseling himself. And so we're so proud of you for that. But, you know, when people say, just bringing it back to the deconstruction conversation, that deconstruction is just something we're doing to be cool. Um, see, I don't think so. I think that that is no. lived trauma. Yes. And um, it takes, um, I, I think a mentor of mine said, we are broken in community and we're healed in community. Mm. The problem is the institution shouldn't define the community. Right. Um, unless the institution is committed to the kinds of community that represent, you know, center set dynamics. The problem is in large churches, you simply can't administrate community with people right. who are healthy. <laughs> So, you know, you've, you've, so my encouragement is if we can, if we can practice a community where you don't initially have cynicism, then, then do that. But it's okay to walk into the organization or institutional forms and be a bit skeptical and held back. Yeah. Um, I would just commend you for, for counseling. I would commend you for um, sharing uh, your story. I would commend you um, that. I don't think um, we, even in the midst of such awfulness, um, should give up on the idea that it is possible to experience the better kind of community. I just think we have to be super careful and slow um, in trying to find it. So anything you want to add to that, Timothy? Nope. I think that makes me too angry to make a art, like a well-articulated response. I would have bounced. I would also be very skeptical. And yeah. I'm already skeptical and cynical. So, <laughs> yeah. But if there are other people out there, what do you say, North Carolina? Yeah. That are in North Carolina. I mean, we need, at some point, this pandemic will end and we'll get back to micro communities. Yep. And so maybe there's, maybe there's a group of listeners in that area that we can connect together. Fantastic. And you can start building community before you worry about, yeah, yeah finding it. Man, the church conversation is such a minefield. Yep. 
<laughs> Oof. And, and by the way, as I'm sitting here, I think Tim is doing a great job answering some of these. I don't think I am doing a good job answering these. I'd love more thought on these, but we purposely just wanted to sort of react. But the point really isn't even our answers, right? I mean, the point is the questions are valued and the community yeah. is having a conversation. And so, yeah. man, we're just so grateful that you trust us with all this stuff. All right, Tim, your turn. All right, uh, let's see. Which one haven't we read? Hi, gentlemen. There it is. First Thanks of all, this person doesn't know us clearly from that introduction you're a gentle giant no she well she is um she actually does and she's been super fun she's been emailing a lot oh gotcha yeah it just uh, you know i don't get called that very often a gentleman yeah we can call you that more often if you'd like and a scholar well, I mean, I wouldn't ask for too much. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, thanks for breaking down this whole topic of loving each other well and guiding folks toward wisdom with boundedness. Versus. Oh, versus, sorry. Wisdom versus boundedness and rules. I had emailed you a while back with a question about a discipline situation. You asked if you could read it, and I had said yes, but it never got on the podcast, so I still have the question. I will try to summarize it here. A niece of mine, we will say Jane, was getting married and asked their cousin, another niece of mine, we will call Sue. So Jane's getting married and asked uh, her cousin Sue to be in her bridal party. <coughs> However, when Sue asked if Jane was sleeping with her fiance and found out she was, Sue refused to be in the wedding party, believing that she would be complicit in supporting such sin. Sue and her family didn't even attend the wedding because it caused such a rift between them. This caused a tremendous amount of anguish for everyone who knew about it. Others of us who knew the situation didn't necessarily think it was wise, but were happy they were getting married, which remedied the issue. I want to talk to Sue about how she handled the whole thing, but don't know how to begin directing her to less bounded thinking. Sue and her husband have also cut off relationships with other relatives when the relatives don't behave or perform to the Christian expectations or rules. What would you all say to her? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. No, um, <laughs> first of all, that is a great question. And, and actually, particularly when, when gay marriage was legalized, we got a ton of questions about if I go, am I complicit in their sin? So I want to back up a second and just question the paradigm. Um, because one of the things that really shocked me when I learned it was that Jesus practiced table fellowship in a way where that same accusation was made against him. Um, the Pharisees, for the Pharisees, table fellowship was the embodied practice of Jewish righteousness that would cause the Messiah to come uh, and God to bring about the whole restoration plan of Israel called resurrection. All right. So for the Pharisees, table of fellowship was the performance of uh, everything that is distinctive about being Jewish. And within Judaism, everything distinctive about being righteous 
as they uh, defined it. So when Jesus gathers, see, in, in ancient Near Eastern cultures and in some uh, Eastern cultures today, meals are where you perform your social status. So if you have a high social status, you eat with high social status people. If you have a low social status, you eat with sinners and tax collectors and so on. Uh, and the idea is whoever you dine with, you're sharing status with in uh, that culture. So Jesus, when he shares status with um, Levi, the tax collector, and a bunch of tax collectors and sinners, the Pharisees, of course, mutter against him, saying, why does, why does he go and eat and dine with sinners? When, when Jesus shares status and invites Zacchaeus to host him for a meal, uh, the crowds begin to mutter uh, against him, as, asking the very same question. When Jesus is called a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of sinners, in essence, there, there's a Deuteronomy passage in the background of that, but the idea of friend of sinners just means that he shares status with sinners. Yeah. And, the, and from the Pharisees, that means he is complicit in their crimes. Now, Jesus and the Pharisees did share one common goal, and that was to call Israel to repentance. For the Pharisees, repentance looked like becoming a Pharisee. And so they used um, disintegrative shaming. They would exclude people. They used boundedness. So unless you ate... shaming. Yes. Um, it was designed to, to make sure that you knew and the group knew that you were not part of the group. Yeah. And, um, and so they excluded uh, be, as a means to calling people to righteousness. Um, Jesus was calling people to righteousness too. For him, righteousness meant um, the, that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come near and God's promise for the blessing of the nations through Israel is now coming true. And that the justice involved and the righteousness involved in this movement was gonna look far different than the conceptions of the Pharisees. And so for Jesus, Table Fellowship, in the same way for the Pharisees, was an enacted, symbolic, and parabolic uh, performative action that showed the nature of his kingdom, all right? So when Jesus gets accused of, uh, of like uh, sharing in the sins of others and validating their sin, this was the means by which Jesus was calling people to repentance. He was calling people to repentance through his sharing status with them before they repented. Okay, that is so important. That the, 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 um, the movement of Jesus as a holiness movement was granted to people before they performed the expected signs of Jewish repentance. Yeah. Okay, that's so unbelievably important because what that means is that as we um, uh, want to call people to repentance, and I even shake using you know, that phrase, there are two different ways to do it. There's the way of Sue, which is the, the exclusive, I will, I will pull myself away from this, I will shame, I will ignore, I will distance myself. I will not be complicit. Yes, I will not be complicit. And then there is the way of Jesus that, that didn't mind being seen as complicit for the sake of maintaining relationship and, communi and communicating that I am 
committed to you, with you, and for you, regardless of whether or not you ever act differently. And so um, I don't know how, unless you are in a relationship with Sue that is full of committed to her, committed to be with her, committed to be for her, and that she knows that. I don't know how she will receive any conversation in any other way than in the bounded ways that she's accustomed to thinking in. So um, I would simply ask, if I were confronted with Sue, I would simply ask a whole bunch of questions. Um, and, and, and I would ask questions like, okay, wh why do you think um, not being complicit in, a, in someone else's sin is such a big deal? Like, where do you see that in the text? Yeah. Um, do you think do you think removing yourself maintains the relationship and helps um or do you think maybe staying there could have helped more totally. uh, do you regret how you handled that situation do you think that that the family was somehow bettered by the way that you handled this now these these aren't these are just off the top of our heads right those are these great are questions though well that's the only way i would ever know it because yeah. any torting any correction she's going to receive as a bounded way and just cut you off too. No, just sit in love and have a conversation about it. Yep. And ask questions. Do you think this was helpful? Why do you think this yeah. is important? What about when Jesus was, um, you know, seen as a friend of sinners? Do you think it's possible to, for the sake of some greater good, um, stay in communion with people? Um, what about the fact that they are getting married? Wouldn't that be worthy of blessing? You know, I mean, those sorts of invitational questions, but yeah. I certainly wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything. If, if there were questions back, I would go into the whole Jesus thing. Like Jesus called people to repentance through the integration of them into his community before they did the proper. Now, some of them did repent. I mean, obviously Matthew repented right away by just getting up and leaving his tax collecting station. Zacchaeus got up and repented right away, but it was... It was because of the gracious initiative of Jesus towards them before they repented that they repented. Yeah. And so it is grace that leads us and kindness that lead us to repentance. So the, the dynamic, the, the new creation dynamic posture for me that I want to practice is unless the action of somebody is, is hurting the community um, and, and, and in, engaging in sort of disintegrative shaming or whatever, I want to be fully supportive um, of wherever they are in their journey. Now that doesn't mean I approve, but when, when, Timothy, do we, does it ever say, love your neighbor if you approve? Right. It never says that. It never says love your neighbor unless you'll be seen as being complicit in their sin. It never says it. We just gotta stop projecting so much too. Like someone's smoking and you're having a conversation with someone that you love and you're like, hey, you know, this isn't the best habit. Uh, there are some serious health implications. You're getting too old for this. Some people are able to hear that, see it, and quit cold turkey and yes. walk away from it. Other people, it's very difficult to cut that habit, and it may take years of engaging that conversation but still sitting with them and walking with them through it. And it's like the prescriptive version of this is how this goes. Yeah. This is how you should respond. And if you do not see ya. It's yes. such a weirdly, like, in, like just so sewn into us. The other thing, too, is like, man, this is that evangenitals. <laughs> it's like we're so, or Sky calls it uh, yeah. crotch Christianity. 
we're so obsessed with sex and more so we're so obsessed with other people's sex. Yeah. It's wild, wild times. At Ridgemont High. Anyway, or that was anyway. fast times. All right. Uh, let's try two more. I mean, right. these deserve episodes all their own. This is so good. I'm serious. I'm not making this up. This is so <laughs> good. And I, I really do. I, I, I feel like we could do individual episodes on every question that's been asked. Yeah, totally. And I almost, you know, and I'm, I'm a, a perfectionist. And so I would want to do all the background and research and blah, blah, blah. Right. All right. Greetings, Mike. Hey, thank you for just addressing me. Yeah. Doggone it. Enough. Exhausted. Enough of the Tim. Okay. We all know he does the heavy lifting around here, but doggone it, it's, some, it's, it's nice to be recognized. I cannot thank you enough for the blessing Voxology has been for me over the last six months. Also, it was more than happy to jump on the Patreon bandwagon. Thank you for that. I discovered Voxology through your guest appearances on the Holy Post. God bless Sky, Phil, Christian, and Caitlin. I started listening to Voxology last summer uh, while I was carrying my mail route, and I, I've listened now to every episode. Okay, there, there should be some sort of award for that. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, there is. It's called pride. So here, he says some other nice things. Yeah. Here's my deconstruction story. I grew up a Midwestern boy to Catholic parents. Around the age of seven, my parents decided to homeschool and became evangelical Christians. Sounds like that a led John to... Mellencamp song. <laughs> oh, that led to a decade of jumping from church to church, never really feeling at home anywhere. A pretty severe amount of loneliness and isolation and an unwavering commitment to white Republican conservative values. Add to that an increasingly spiritually, emotionally, and physically abusive fundamentalist father figure and a mother spiritually battered into submission in the name of wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And I had the perfect recipe for spiritual crisis. My goodness, you did. I'm so sorry. During my teen slash early adult years, I spent time at a Christian summer camp where I met Christians who didn't share all the same cultural values as me. And as time passed, I would eventually fall in love and marry a woman with whom I shared almost no spiritual baggage. As a, very, as a fairly liberal uh, person, she helped me to start to reconsider that maybe some of the way I looked at the world wasn't necessarily consistent with how the world really is or with the Christian story I was claiming as my own. Uh, now I'm married and I live in the suburbs of one of the most liberal cities in the Midwest. I moved here in the summer of 2020. COVID was just starting. The election nightmare was in full swing. And I found myself having to look at the fruit of evangelical of the evangelicalism that I grew up with uh, and ask myself, is this the way of Jesus? Is this what the way of Jesus is supposed to look like? Um, having just come out of a contentious time with my own parents over masks, church clothings, and cloth closings, and vaccines, I knew my faith was on the rope, so I dived into podcasts uh, to rediscover um, what about Jesus and the Christian vision I find so compelling. Now I understand the way of Jesus challenges what comes most naturally to us. Yes, that is a great way to say that. Yes, yes, yes. It disrupts what's ordinary and normal and common in human life. Oh, that's so good. It calls us into a beautiful movement of people committed to bringing the kingdom of heaven on earth through self-sacrificial love. Oh, man, somebody's preaching right now. 
The biggest struggle is knowing how to go about living it out. Yes, yes, yes. And because frankly, it's hard. Yes. My father has all but disowned me and thinks I've lost my faith. Oh, man, that is so hard. The liberal people I now live around don't understand me. It's as though trying to live like Jesus upsets everyone and not having found a Christian community has been really hard on me. But I'm committed to this journey of faith and I can't wait for the things Jesus is going to do uh, to show me about himself next. Feel free to share my story if you think it's appropriate. One last thing. I'm currently trying to find a church in the Madison, Wisconsin area. Now that the pandemic is winding down, I'm pretty sure I know where I, I want to start attending, but I wanted to ask, how do I keep from being a fundamentalist when it comes to church policies and when it is it appropriate to draw lines? For example, women in ministry. I believe women should be allowed to serve in any and every ministry role. If my church is part of a denomination that doesn't allow that, should that be a deal breaker? And if not, what things should be? Just trying to remain faithful to a Christian vision of a flourishing, healthy Christian community. Any advice is greatly appreciated. Oh, man. So freaking good. I'm doing a lot of talking, Timothy. You got anything on this? What was the phrase that you were excited about first? The common, normal? No, he said, um, let's see. C, 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 C. Uh, now I understand the way of Jesus challenges what comes most naturally to us. There was something else in there too you said that had those words. And I, they are like synonymous with complacency. And it seems like that's one of the things that gets us in the most trouble is like the, when we become idle. Yeah. We become complacent and and then we get defensive. Yes. And it just seems like all of that is so opposite of... Yeah everything that Jesus was trying to do and say. I love that. When it comes to church bodies, that kind of stuff is a deal breaker for me. And I'm not saying that that's how it should be, but anything that leads to exclude, I am weary of now. Not weary. I'll walk the other way. You won't let women pastor or teach? I'm out. You won't let uh, LGBTQ plus people be part of your congregation? Seek Jesus with you? I'm out. You know, Especially yeah. when you're not even a part of the body yet and you're just like, hey, is this a community that I should join? I think it's, it's fine to say no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Let's talk about what the word deal breaker means for a second. All right. So um, there are all sorts of issues I'm willing to live in Christian tension on yes. with people that don't agree. Yes. And, and I, I think... That's going to be true of every community ever. You just, right. if, you, if you find a, what, what's the joke? If you find a community that thinks like you, you found a cult, right? I mean, that, right. that, that, <laughs> yeah. right? If it is challenging, then it should be challenging. And the new humanity is representative of all of these different people from all these different places. Yeah. The one person that I have dedicated my entire life to living with, we have a, a myriad of things not in common. What? Yeah. And she's the person that I love more than anybody else. So it's like, it's in just in that one-on-one dynamic, there's tension. Yes. So if deal breaker means I'm in community with people who hold degrees that I don't agree, uh, hold views that I don't agree with, then I'm toast. So that can't be what a deal breaker means. If 
a deal breaker means how institutions organize their communal life, then I'm really interested uh, because organizations can do that in all sorts of different ways and call it Christian. So if so, when I was evaluating working for a community, um, things that were important to me, A, um, obviously a community of people who were committed to Jesus, B, a community of people who were committed to the, the Jesus of the center that I see and understand. Right. Uh, see uh, a community of people who have demonstrated a willingness to work through power, money, and inner church conflict in ways that promote centered set thinking and practice. Now, those three things, right? Power, money, and conflict. Those are my issues uh, and, and evaluative tools because these, this is where organization and institution blend into community. Right, so I have things I look for as part of a healthy community and one of them cannot be people I agree with. But there are things I look for as a healthy institution that are different um, because there is no way to get a healthy community out of an unhealthy institution um, if you're not really deliberate in opposition to it. And typically, uh, an institution will not allow communities to exist Horrible. that are opposed yep. to it. So, yep. um, So for me, um, part of being a new creation community is its posture towards people who are on the margins of church culture or culture at large. Yeah. So that includes women, that includes LGBTQ people, that includes liberals and conservatives, that includes... So if this is a community that allows for people to process doubt, struggle um, with all sorts of things and issues without having to decide upon their salvation or order their discipleship all of those dynamics or dynamics i am constantly looking for and if they come at the organizational level through embodied leadership practice transparency about money and um, gracious and humble handling of church conflict then i'm all in yeah. i'm very much less about uh, the kind of worship songs or whether the teaching's good. You can get good teaching and good worship anywhere. Those should not be central to our search. Yeah. What's central to our search are the relational dynamics that the institution has around those power issues. And if it's shared leadership, that is absolutely important. If there's humble um, leadership, if there's honesty and transparency about what's really happening and why people leave and all of those sorts of things. Those are, I wouldn't call them deal breakers, but I would call them uh, flags that if added up um, would, would cause me to not attend a community. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. So, so if a deal breaker is commonality, then only boundary churches, bounded churches sort of foster that. Totally. Um, if it is willingness to sit in all the messy relational dynamics of centered set practice that Sweet. are presented in the Sermon on the Mount and are implemented in organizational practices. So that's at least where I would start the conversation. Uh, dear questioner, thank you for, I mean, phenomenal. This is phenomenal. All right, Tim. Yes. Oh, you know what? I think we should wrap it here, buddy. Yeah. I think we should wrap it here. So, friends, countrymen and women, lend us your ears. We just want to say thank you.
from a very disappointed household here in the South to a snowy household yeah. here in Northern California. Yeah. It, we encompass all the weather, all the views, <laughs> all the governors. Um, anyway, just thank you. Uh, let us, would you give us feedback on this episode? Uh, is this helpful? Um, and uh, because, I mean, we can, we can do extra episodes all the time. We have like dozens and dozens and dozens of emails like these. Yeah. Um, that, and, and, you know, I mean, if this is a helpful thing for the community, I'd, we'd love to do it. Um, cause you know, answering some of these over email, how do you even do that? That's why they, they add up. I yeah. mean, some of these don't, there's no way you can answer over email. So anyway, friends, thank you for trusting us with this. We love you guys. And, um, and we'll be recording an episode for next Monday as well. See ya. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us